how to start? Well, you know, it's just writing. I mean, here's something important to remember about dialogue. Every word matters. No, it doesn't. They're modern. I want to go to this place that I think it needs to go to. The only thing that counts is what you see on the screen. I will write like four or five, six hours a day. And it will be a voice made of ink and rage. Okay, I'm, re- I'm really glad you asked me that question. Welcome to episode 420, where I spoke with Jemima Khan, the screenwriter for What's Love Got to Do With It, and a producer of shows like American Crime Story, The Case Against Adnan Saeed, and The Clinton Affair. Her latest project, What's Love Got to Do With It, is a 13-year journey that takes somewhat of a twist on her career in real life. The rom-com, which she wrote, takes place in London, where an award-winning filmmaker documents her best friend's journey into an assisted marriage in line with the family's Pakistani heritage. Here we talk about getting the rights to complex true stories, her friendship with Monica Lewinsky, working on her first script for over a decade, writing fiction works that are part biographical, challenges for indie filmmakers, and where to find the confidence to keep going as a writer. If it's your first time here, make sure to subscribe. You can also get my first book, Ink by the Barrel, Secrets from Prolific Writers, based on this podcast right now for free over at brockswinson.com. That's the book and audiobook. I was a journalist before that, and I used to uh, work on, I worked at Vanity Fair and a political magazine called The New Statesman in the UK. And I think that I, I'm always, I've always been drawn to kind of interesting characters and stories and trying to, you know, to tell those stories. And I see documentary filmmaking particularly as a really natural step on from journalism. I set up a company, started making documentary, producing documentaries. Then we moved into, then some of those documentaries, like The Clinton Affair, which was about Monica Lewinsky, turned into a scripted series. And um, and so then, and sort of, so I ended up doing a bit of scripted stuff and just, it evolved from there. Writing, on the other hand, is kind of a different, writing a film is is something that I, I don't generally do in my day job. That's kind of out of hours. And in some ways, kind of more challenging. <laughs> Are you like like the person in charge of getting the rights? I mean, you worked on the Adnan story, two different Clinton movies. I mean, it seems yes. like these things were so popular. Like, how did you kind of manage to you know put yourself in that position? I guess. Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I this American Life didn't want to sell. I mean, every single giant company in the world was trying to buy the rights to that story. And This American Life didn't want to sell, they didn't want to option it anyway. But I, um, because I, because I guess because of having lived in Pakistan for 10 years um, and having a connection to the Pakistani community and the diaspora, I uh, reached out to Rabia Chowdhury, who was an essential component in that story. I don't know how well you know it, but Rabia Chowdhury was the person who advocated for Adnan all the time that he was in jail. Mm-hmm. And I reached out to her and emailed her and said, we really want to tell this story. And I know that you're writing a book and can we option your book and can we talk about it? And she immediately said, yes. And we immediately, you know, jumped on a plane and, um, and, uh, and we took it from it went from there. And then Amy Berg, who had a uh, history of making exactly this type of documentary. In fact, 
she has an incredible record of making documentaries about miscarriages of justice, which end in the protagonist being released from jail, which has happened in this case. And our fifth episode goes out later this year in which Adnan Say will walk free. So uh, uh, that was very much a personal connection. And in a way, the Clinton affair was as well. So I ended up making that story um, with Alex Gibney, who I'm sure you know is, a, is an incredible filmmaker, um, because I had met Monica Lewinsky uh, because we both worked at Vanity Fair. Hmm. So I met her in L.A., and we immediately bonded over certain similarities in our life story, not least that we were both being threatened with jail at the same moment, at the same age in the 1990s for political reasons because of the two men that we happened to have been in a relationship with. In my case, it was my ex-husband who was Pakistani and for political reasons, I was being threatened with jail in Pakistan um, on trumped up political charges. And in her case, obviously, you know that story. So we we kind of had a bond as a result of uh, some shared experiences. Um, and it had some, uh, you know, some, there were some strange sort of overlaps in our story. Um, and we became friends and I'm very grateful that she trusted me enough to tell her story after a, a long time. Um, and she'd really been silenced for know, 20 years. She hadn't really been able to. She had a brilliant TED talk. And then together we embarked on the documentary series. And that then became, uh, as a result, that then led to me working on impeachment, the TV series with which was made by Ryan Murphy. Was that kind of how you pitched as well? Like by the time you got to American Crime Story, was it pitched as like at least half of it is Monica's story? Is that kind of how you guys went about that? Um, I, I think we would have found it. For, I would. I certainly wouldn't have wanted to be involved in any production about Monica that she was not actively involved in and being compensated for because she had spent, I understood that she had spent so many years, decades of being silenced and not being able to tell her story. It would have felt uh, extremely unfair to me if anyone had gone ahead and made that story without her, you know, yeah. collaboration. Um, so, uh, your yeah, Ryan Murphy reached out to me and to my um, business partner uh, and asked us both to come on board as producers, but also asked, obviously asked Monica as well. Mm. And, you know, we couldn't have done it without Monica. So tell me about, like, you've produced maybe about 10 credits before this latest when you were the screenwriter. Were you writing the whole time in addition to journalism? Like, how did you make the mental shift to write something more fiction-based and screenwriting? Tell me about kind of your journey there. Uh, uh, it took forever. Um, I wrote some really, really crap drafts to begin with. Um, I did it very much out of hours because um, I didn't really just want to be that person that just constantly talks about writing a script that never happens. And I wasn't sure until the very, very end that it, you know, really until about three months before we were shooting, I didn't know if it would ever happen. You know what it's like with independent films. It's, it's really, really hard to get them made. And um, so things came together very, after a long time, very suddenly and very, um, surprisingly and suddenly we were off during covid um but yeah writing definitely writing my first screenplay was very challenging and not altogether i mean i 
it was an incredible privilege to have done it and to have gone through this process. But I have to say, I found it very hard. It was like, I keep likening it to, to exercise. So you hate, I hate exercising, but I like having exercised. And I feel like writing's the same. I find right. it an arduous process, but I enjoy having done it. <laughs> well, tell me where this idea came from, because it feels a little meta when you kind of first see it. Like, tell me about all the different layers to it and the different cultures and, and where you kind of got started from. Yeah. Um, well, yes, it's, you mean in terms of, because the central female protagonist is a documentary maker. Right. Well, she's a director, not, I'm a producer, but I felt that it was important for her to be somehow documenting and watching this, uh, this uh, experience that her neighbor goes through, her mm. best friend and neighbor, Shazad Latif, who, who has decided to have what has become known as an assisted marriage as opposed to an arranged marriage. And in a way, I suppose the films uh, or the central protagonist Zoe's view of arranged marriage does slightly mirror my journey, albeit over a much longer period. So when I first went to Pakistan, age 20, I went, I got married, I went to live with my ex-husband and his entire joint family. So we lived in one house, there were 26 of us. I lived with his husband, I lived with his father, his four sisters, their husbands, and their children. And all of them had had arranged marriages. Ours was the first marriage in his entire family history to have been what they call a love map marriage. And so I went in with some very fixed preconceived ideas about arranged marriage, that it was like an outdated concept, um, a loveless institution uh, that has no place really in the modern world. And I came to question that by the end of my time there, I saw that many of those marriages had a great deal of love in them and were what I would consider to be very successful, happy marriages. Now, obviously, there are forced marriages, but forced marriages are not the same as either arranged or assisted. And I think in the West, they often get conflated. And when I came back to the UK, I was in my 30s and my friends were looking to find sort of partners and settle down and have kids. And so we would have this ongoing discussion about the kind of pros and cons of an algorithm uh, choosing, you, uh, a, a, you know, a, a partner uh, or the people that love you most and know you best putting forward suggestions. And we would have these discussions about what would happen if you took out physical attraction as an or let's say sexual chemistry as a prerequisite and you had deferred to your family members or your those you're closest to and said okay go ahead who do you think would suit me well um and then what do you think would happen and that was the original kind of seed of an idea for the film now was it always i think of i read um aziz ansari's book called modern romance which touches on some of these ideas like was it always going to be a fictional work that you turn this into did you write journalistic type pieces around that same idea as well or how did you kind of it's something you chipped away at over the years um yeah well it's had lots of incarnations and uh and and obviously you know having there are some of it that's autobiographical because of my experience of going to Pakistan and seeing it from an you know an outsider's perspective. Also, there's stuff that reflects my children's 
but I have British Pakistani kids. And, you know, a lot of the things in there are things that they've experienced as British Pakistanis, like, I mean, even even some of the lines, like, we need to leave extra time to be randomly selected at the airport, because that always, <laughs> that always happens if I'm traveling with my kids at the airport, we leave extra transit time, if we're, especially if, if we're traveling to America or within America, we have to leave a bit of extra time because they get, you know, they get stopped and they have Arabic, non-anglicized Muslim names. Mm. And um, and so they get, you know, extra checks, which I actually don't get. So, I, you know, some of those things are derived from real life. Um, and, but it, yeah, it, it, is, it is a fictional story also. I'm sure you've read hundreds of screenplays as a producer. Um, is there anything you do differently coming at it, maybe from a journalistic point of view? Yeah, everything. Oh, yeah, sorry, I forgot to answer your other question. I did do a lot of um, a lot of research as well because when I was working for the New Statesman, and um, I did, and also I did something for uh, uh, BBC Radio um, in the UK about the arranged marriage business in the UK. So I went and ended up interviewing a lot of men um who and then subsequently actually interviewed a lot of men in their 30s who had had arranged marriages and trying to understand the motivation behind that as well um but uh what would i do differently oh my god i i'm i'm extremely self-critical as a person and i would do a lot of things differently and i'm constantly whenever i watch the film i'm like ah. Oh, why didn't I write that? And why didn't I put that there? And why didn't I? I'm constantly tortured by what I would do better. And um, yeah, but that's that, I mean, that's partly who I am as a character, as a personality, I think. How did you go about, um, did, did you look for, did you research other films like this? Were you trying to make it like a romantic comedy? And then how did you know which tent poles you wanted to hit to kind of fit that genre? Um, well, I should say that I did get, I have one great stroke of luck, which is that a really good friend of mine uh, is a film writer and director, Ol Parker. And he very, very kindly read every draft that I wrote and gave me notes. And they're probably without him, I, w- I would not have got to the, you know, the point that I did. I probably would have given up earlier and lost confidence. But I think he saw something that he thought was worth pursuing early on and just gave me the confidence to keep on going. What were some of the mental difficulties maybe in transitioning from writing, you know, journalistic type piece to a screenplay? I would imagine you're shifting to more dialogue and was it difficult for you to kind of make that jump? Um, I find the dialogue quite that I find that less of a challenge because I think journalistically you're always listening. I used to do a lot of interviews. So I used to um, interview uh, political politicians basically. And so you're constantly listening out for dialogue. And I'm, you know, I'm a linguist. So I've got a pretty good ear, I think, for dialogue. It's much, what, what's really challenging is the structural stuff, you know, how to, how to write a story, how to do a story, you know, and and also, I think in the end, it boils down to what you leave out. Mm-hmm. You know, screenwriting is all about what you're what you're prepared to 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 kill off, you know, how you know, and in the end, you just keep trying to make it um, more and more spare, I guess, whether it's, you know, it's quite a kind of talky script and it so it was constantly trying to lose some of that and 
um, even lose some characters so that it's not too overpopulated and yeah. So you kind of had the, like maybe that approval or those notes that, that inspired you as well, but you've got a, you've got multiple good careers. Like what is, it seems like there was something more intangible that made you want to write this. Is it just that it was a personal story or what else was there? Um, well, I also felt as though it was a real personal challenge because it's not something that you can, you know, writing a script, you can't, um, it, I didn't co-write it. I just sat down. I, I remember there was a moment actually where um, there was this kind of, I'm not going to say who it is, but it's a famous comedian guy who uh, has aspirations to write a script. And he 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 didn't know I hadn't said anything we're not really I don't know him that well so I, I he but he happened to be at this dinner and an agent was there and an agent said oh I read your script by the way and I really liked it and so then said something nice about it and he this comedian immediately said who'd you write it with and I was quite taken up but I thought that assumption is why I have to see this through on my own even though I probably you know, I would have done it quicker and arguably better if I had co-written it with someone. But for my first project, I really felt that I had to kind of, no matter how long it took, I had to complete it on my own and just keep going and keep going and keep rewriting. I've rewritten, I cannot tell you how many drafts. I mean, literally thousands and thousands of notes. And, you know, each time a new person came aboard, whether it was a financier or a director or a cast member or a producer every single time and then I would rewrite a different version of the script so I mean that's normal did you see the the comment as like producers can't write screenplays or how did you kind of or was it more personal how did you kind of feel about the comment oh no I thought it was personal I thought it was uh it was about you know I I, I thought it was I, I took it personally hmm. Yeah. What advice might you have for those people that are trying to finish their first screenplay? Like where did where did the perseverance come from? And then how long did it actually take you to kind of go from idea to finished project just so people have an idea of the realities? I mean, I don't want to be dispiriting for people, <laughs> but it takes so long. Um, I'm sure it's not always like this, but independent films are famously hard to get made. Original film scripts are hard to get made, particularly these days. And I like I've blithely been saying 10 years, but the truth is it's longer. The first idea, I reckon I started 12 or 13 years ago with the idea and the first go at it. And yeah, it took that long till it about 13 years before it was actually on screen. Was there did it ever shift? Was it always like a character who's kind of filming the couple? Was it did you ever put just the couple? This was always kind of a similar story. No, it's changed. I mean, honestly, you could ask me, was the central character at one point a man? Yes. <laughs> was, I mean, you know, there's, I've, I've, was there a completely different ending? Yes. Um, did different people end up together? Yes. So I, I've tried, but I think that's the nature of learning how to screenwrite is that the only way you know if something works or doesn't work is to try it. So at least every single time I'd go into a meeting, they'd go, have you ever tried it? Done it. You can see it. <laughs> and um, I think it's, uh, I, I think 
when you're not experienced, the way to do it is to just, you just have to try every different which way. That's not very encouraging, is it? That's No, it's good though. I like to, I like to hear those things. Um, did it also change like from external factors? Cause I mean, even a few years ago, people were in America were not as common to watch something with subtitles, for example, did other things like that change in the industry that maybe helped it get made? Um, I'm pretty sure that when I, yeah, at first, when I first started doing it, I started conceiving of it, dating apps weren't as big a thing. So like I didn't include any, she wasn't really on dating apps. And then I that was like completely inconceivable by the time it was on screen. Um, and what else has changed? I mean, yes, a lot has changed uh, um, in the process of making it. And it's definitely, it's a, I guess it's a harder time than ever now to get original films, not just made, but also seen. Because there's so, you know, people, uh, getting people out to the cinemas uh, to see films that are not big action movies and not big IP and not with a superstar like Tom Cruise in is, it's really challenging. I mean, I think the industry's changed so much, particularly for these types of films. I, this is, a you know, made by Working Title, who um, pretty much kind of invented the rom-com genre with Four Weddings and a Funeral and Notting Hill and Love Actually and all those kind of famous Richard Curtis films. And when I was uh, talking to the producer at Working Title at one point, who is a producer on this, uh, he said, you know, some of our most famous films would not get made today. He said, I would not be able to get those films made because there is, you know, it's really challenging to get audiences to go and see films that are not instantly giant kind of recognizable IP. When did you start to develop such perseverance in your career? Because I'm, I'm thinking about a journalist. I mean, you may spend a few months on a topic, but you're probably not spending years like you are with some of the documentaries and now the movie. Is it just something that developed over time or any advice on like perseverance like that? I think that um, most people probably, a lot of my screenwriter friends of mine who are screenwriters with varying degrees of success used to say to me, put it down and start writing something else. You know, just just start something else. And for some reason, I couldn't. I couldn't start something new until I'd seen this through. And even now, like I've had some, some offers to write other things and I have got something that I want to do, but I can't until it's like, right, it's fully born and out and in the world in every territory there's part of me that just doesn't want to move on but I I don't know if that's like some you know character quirk um I just felt unable to focus on two different writing projects I have lots of producing projects simultaneously um but I found it hard to focus on other and also I found it hard having put so much work and you know time into it to just go which a lot of screenwriters do all the time and I'm always amazed it is you know to just be able to go all right put it on a shelf it's never ever going to happen uh you know but I know so probably most of the really successful screenwriters I know have written multiple unmade scripts that are sitting in their office it's extraordinary to think even the most famous screenwriters um still have stuff that they have poured their heart and soul into and put so much time into and they're just never they've just accepted that they're not going to get made um 
So I, I, yeah. Tell me a little more about um, developing multiple documentaries at the same time. I'm sure some things get made and others do not. Are you always chasing ideas or are you also getting pitched ideas? What makes a pitched idea stand out? Honestly, uh, I have never, I've only ever uh, had the idea that ended up getting made. I have been pitched things before, um, but, uh, well, hold on. It depends what stage you mean. If, if I've been involved from the very beginning and uh, I've been a kind of uh, there from beginning right through to the end, then it's an idea that I've generated mm -hmm. um, and have set up. And that's the way it's really been up till now because, I mean, there's no real – I wouldn't be the obvious person to pitch an idea to because there are so many, you know, bigger companies and, you know, bigger execs who they who people can get things made um, by. But uh, I do get pitched more now and I get sent scripts now and I get sent ideas all the time. But because I, I, I my company is really small and I therefore only uh, attach myself to things that I can really get passionate about and be very, very focused on. Um, and so, and you know, so I, I only take on a small number of projects. And when I do, I'm very involved. It seems like at least the ones we've talked about, you are very passionate about those things. Um, do you have any advice for writers who are trying to find a producer to collaborate with, like how they can find someone who they have similar interests with and those type of things? I mean, it's, uh, it, it is, it's partly luck, but I think it's mostly perseverance and just try. I think I remember even when, uh, when I've been trying to get things made, I was once accused by somebody of, oh my God, you're just sh throwing shit at walls. <laughs> I was so offended. But I think what this person meant was, I was just like sending out randomly to anyone I'd ever, you know, I was pretty random. And I think you've kind of got to just, you know, I literally at one point sent a script to, I, I, I sent something that I was really passionate about. And it was a, friends, daughters, best friends, <laughs> fathers, brother who worked for, you know, one of these financing companies or whatever. And I sort of managed to get the thing. And I think, uh, you know, I, I, I think you just got to keep sending it out, keep sending it out and somewhere along the line, you know, and also don't underestimate to what extent the it's not the head honcho who reads them it's the assistants so go in through the assistants you know the you know my assistant at my company i trust her judgment her creative judgment a hundred percent and i don't read the first things that come she does and if she says i really believe in this then i believe in it because i she's got really good taste and most producers, I think, have somebody like that in their company who they trust. And it's often people, you know, even at a, at a, at a starter level in the business who actually have the power. I mean, famously, it was a coming in, it was an assistant who found the Harry Potter books and went on and on and on about them and said, this needs to be a film to David Heyman at Heyman Films. You know, you must make this into a film. And um, so I think, yeah. If I were to say to um so so first time writers or, or starter writers is 
send your email, don't send your emails to the big boss. Don't send your submissions to the, whoever's running the company. Send your submissions to the assistants and find out what their names are and send it to them with a nice covering note and ask them out for coffee because that's their job is meeting writers. Their job is to go out and meet new talent and new writers and develop relationships and have coffees and they have more time and, you know, and arguably more taste. I mean, it's definitely um definitely worth doing that i mean the other part of that that's maybe less obvious to writers who are getting rejections is that when you say yes to something you're saying no to dozens of other things to put the time in for that one as well yeah absolutely do you have any other just uh, we just have a minute or two left any other advice about those trying to to break in today any advice you might give for writers or producers um Look, it's it's it's. I can see that it's incredibly. It can feel quite dispiriting, you know. But I I honestly gave up this project twenty times. I put it. I thought it's not going to happen. Forget it. It just gave up. And then something would happen. Someone would show. Someone something would happen along the way, and then it it ended up and it went through so many different hands and iterations so I, I think it's just that boring old piece of advice of just keep going I mean so much in life is about it's not really you know it's a little bit talent but it's mostly hard work with everything I think even the things that look like natural talent I was talking to a sportsman recently who um, had been very very successful but said it's, you know, I can't remember what percentage he put on it, but it's a much higher percentage assistance and hard work than actual raw talent. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. Before you take off, I want to give you a free gift. I'm giving you my first book, Ink by the Barrel, for free. That's the digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com. Inside this book, you'll learn how to annihilate writer's block by embracing Elizabeth Gilbert's playful trickster mentality. You can learn to weaponize your anxiety with Kevin Kelly's different is better approach. And learn how to defend your time with Ryan Holiday's calendar anorexia mindset. There's just a few other ideas in the book, Ink by the Barrel. It's also based on over 400 interviews I've done right here on Creative Principles. So go steal that book right now, Ink by the Barrel, to learn how to be a prolific writer. You can get your copy that's digital download and audiobook at brockswinson.com, B-R-O-C-K-S-W-I-N-S-O-N.com. If it's your first time here, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode.